So for those of you who've been here in the summer, as you know, um, we've been going through a journey on the Psalms. Uh, the theme of the series is, let's see if we've got, yeah, um, it's the, the, but the theme of the, our whole series has been that uh, as we internalize God's truth, our emotions will be transformed and we will worship God more authentically. So it's been looking at our emotions and how we can worship God. And again, emotions are, are good, they're God-given, but due to the fall of man, uh, we need God's Spirit to transform our emotions so that they reflect God's glory. Now, this is the uh, eighth lesson in the Psalms, and today we're going to be in Psalms 102, so if you can, if you can turn to Psalm 102. And today's uh, teaching will focus on the emotion of discouragement. Um, And our primary focus is, as we have it here, a hope-filled heart, let's go back, a hope-filled heart, uh, overcoming discouragement. So we're going to look at discouragement and overcoming discouragement. Now, discouragement can be defined as a state of being deprived of courage, hope, or confidence. And each of us can have times of discouragement. Uh, It can affect people of any age race, socioeconomic status, and even Christians. I I read a survey that said 55% of American pastors feel discouraged and lonely. Billy Graham said, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement. Discouragement affects anyone. Now, it's important if this happens to you or when it happens to you, on how you respond to it so it doesn't overwhelm you. And this psalm will show us that God offers hope in the midst of our discouragement. Now the psalm has a title which gives us an understanding of what the writer is trying to say. The psalm's theme is a prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So we see that this is a prayer. And then we see that the author is afflicted or he's cast down. In his prayer, he's pouring out his complaint before the Lord, it says. Now, complaint is, is in the original Hebrew, is a, is a different word than we think of you know, our kids complaining about something, not getting something. The original word means a moaning or an expression of pain. It's not that you're disgruntled with something. Uh, So this is a prayer of a man who is cast down, he's faint, and he's pouring out his moanings before the Lord. Now, some may compare this psalm, and as as we read it, you'll see some of it, to Psalm 51 because of the language describing the author's uh, suffering and and, and the pain he's going through. But, But be clear in this, Psalm 51 is a psalm about David pleading for mercy because of his sin. In Psalm 102, there's no indication that the author, that this is because of the author's sin or grief. It, I'll touch on it a bit later. It looks more as if he's in grief or he's in, in discouragement because of what has happened to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know the time that this psalm was penned. Uh, I'll give you my guess. I think it was done during the Babylonian captivity, but again, that's a guess. We don't, we don't know that. Um, And as we get into the lesson today, we're going to really hang our our thoughts on on two main points. Verses 1 through 11 will show us the excruciating discouragement of the author. And then in verses 12 through 28, he moves to his eternal perspective on things. 
Now, let's start with the excruciating discouragement of the writer in verses 1 through 11. And we'll read it. We'll read it here next. There we go. All right. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I have become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass. Wow. You know, as as the title of this states, in verses 1 and 2, it says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call. Answer me quickly. So like the the title says, he is calling to the Lord. He's putting his request before God. He deeply desires to have his petitions come before God. In distress, he wants God to see him and hear him. Now, when we become weaker, discouraged as he is, our heart should desire to be with the Lord. This psalm begins with a focus on the right thing. He's focused on God. This should be our reaction or reflex to anything we really do, no matter what state we're in, if we're disappointed or in joy. Our attention needs to be on him and no one else. So we see the author is pointing his request. He starts his request in the right direction. He's focused on the Lord. Also note that he wants God to answer him quickly. I don't think it's wrong to desire this. I certainly desire God to answer my prayers quickly as well. But God answers prayers according to his purposes and his timing. So we must rest in that sovereignty no matter how quickly we want the prayers answered. We have to know that God will answer them in his time. Now, we see that the writer is discouraged, and then he is very graphic in his description of his discouragement. And again, we can speculate to the cause of his discouragement, but we don't really know. What we do know is he's, he's truly heartbroken. And there can be many causes of heartbreak. It can be from tragic events in the world, such as what's going on in Syria, or it can be a broken relationship or something very personal. Heartbreak can lead to discouragement. Now, in this part of the psalm, we see the symptoms of his discouragement in those first 11 verses. And as we look at, there's really eight symptoms we see of his disappointment. The first one is, he has no energy. So in verse 3, he felt he had been consumed in smoke. You know, when our days no longer have the fire of energy, they become like smoke. You know, when you're energized, what do you say? You can say you're fired up about something. But 
when there's no fire, there's only smoke. There, there, there's really nothing else left there. And he just felt completely burned out. And don't you feel terrible when you have no energy, when you, when you just have no fire left in you? There can be many reasons why you don't have energy or fire. It can, it can be from medical issues. It can be from a lack of sleep. It can be emotional. But discouragement can really cause you to have no energy and just feel like doing nothing. Now, the next thing was he was in physical pain. Also, in verse 3, it says his bones were scorched like a hearth. They were like uh, a hearth is a fireplace. So they were like a fireplace with dried ashes. There was only dryness in his bones. Now, Satan knew what physical pain can do. As he struck down Job, the first thing he did was strike down Job's children and all of his possessions. And it said Job did not sin. So what did Satan do? He went back to God and he told God, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and flesh. He will curse you to his face, to your face. So when you're hindered in pain, life can be very difficult to deal with as well. His discouragement led to his physical ailments and the physical pain he was in. Next, he had a beaten spirit. Verses 4 and 5 say his heart or his spirit was smitten or it was beaten. His spirit had once been alive as grass and was all full of beauty and freshness, but now it was gone and withered. And that's very easy to visualize here, especially now. When the grass is cut in the summer, it doesn't take long before it's dried up and withered away. His spirit felt like this. He was truly broken. He was so broken he lost the desire even to eat. And discouragement can truly take your appetite away. Because he was not eating, his bones clung to his flesh. He was just wasting away. David expressed this same thing in Psalm 22 when he said he was reproached, he was despised, he was sneered at. He wanted to know why God had forsaken him. His bones, he said, were out of joint and melted like wax. A discouraged spirit can lead to very physical consequences to you. Next, he was alone. In verses 6 and 7, we have a pelican in the wilderness, an owl in the waste places or the ruins, and a lonely bird on a housetop. All three of these are very vivid pictures of loneliness, solitude, and isolation. It says, I lie awake, but the word in Hebrew really means to lie awake as one who is suffering. So he's suffering from his loneliness. Now, Abu Dhabi can be a very lonely place. Um, you're in a different culture. Your family's not around you. You can get very lonely and isolated here. And that's one of the reasons church is so critical. I mean, this is critical that you get involved in a church and have a family here in a church so you don't have that isolation. Now, the body of Christ is here to support you. So, you know, if you're feeling lonely, don't sit there and suffer silently, but reach out. You know, reach out to people. If you see somebody lonely, reach out to them. Being discouraged can cause just great loneliness in someone. Next, he was reproached. In verse 8, it says, his enemies had been taunting, insulting, and making fun of him. They used his name as a form of curse or a form of contempt. Now, how terrible is it 
you know, if, if you're being taunted and insulted and humiliated. And maybe you face that difficult time at work or at school. Maybe it's because of your faith. Maybe people ridicule you because you don't do what everyone else does or what they expect you to do. These difficulties itself can be very, very discouraging to a person. Number six, he was mourning. We see his mourning in verse 9. It says that he ate ashes and his drink had tears. The ashes were mixed in his bread that he ate. Now, in that culture, it was common to put ashes on your head as a sign of mourning. And so he was in mourning so much that the ashes actually fell from his head into the food he was eating, into his bread. He also wept into his drink. He cried from sadness, and it just, it just went into his drink. He was a man that was mourning. He was a man that had sadness truly saturated his whole being, we see here. Now, we can go into mourning over many different things. We can mourn over a loss of a loved one, a broken relationship. There, there are so many things. But when you have such mourning and such deep sorrow over something, that can lead to great disappointment in your life. Next, he felt helpless in verse 10. He said because of God's indignation and wrath, he had been lifted up and cast away. And the language of this implies actually a glass that's been picked up, a drinking glass, and thrown to the ground and broken. So he felt utter helplessness. He was just completely helpless. He couldn't do anything but be broken. God sometimes allows this because God clearly states that he's close to the brokenhearted. Sometimes he allows us to be broken so that we'll draw near to him. He will allow you to be in circumstances or have circumstances where you can't fix it yourself. You have to go to him. Now, I'm an engineer. I like to fix things. I like to solve problems. And when I can't solve a problem, I get very frustrated and disappointed. And, you know, when you're in there, when you're helpless, when you feel like you don't have control, this can lead a person to great disappointment. And and it can even lead someone to giving up. Now, finally, we see here in these first 11 verses, he saw the brevity of his life in verse 11. He saw that his days were quickly ending. The New Living Translation says, My life passes as swiftly as the evening shadows. Now when evening comes, you see the shadows get very long. They lengthen, and then they lengthen so much they're just consumed by darkness. As you get older, you actually do begin to see how short life really is. I mean, you really see the shadow lengthening, and you start to see it's going to end. The writer could see the end of his life, and he was very discouraged by it. Now, the, the writer has used great imagery to paint this picture of discouragement. Indeed, this led to excruciating disappointment for him. He was physically, spiritually, and emotionally affected by this discouragement. You can see his pain. He didn't have courage, hope, or confidence. Now, Out of all that, though, the encouraging thing is he's pouring it all out to God in prayer. And that's what we must also do at times of discouragement. As a Christian, you have the only real place to go for help. You have to go to God and pour out your heart to him. 
Now, the, the thing I'll also say is he didn't discount his feelings or what was going on with him. He didn't downplay them at all. I mean, you see with this imagery, he's very clear in the pain and the suffering is in. What God wants you to do is really pour out how you feel. Pour out your, your pain, your frustration to him. He wants you to cry out to him. So what the author was doing was exactly right in pouring out his real feelings, not hiding them before God. Now, the good thing is the psalm doesn't end here. Okay, So there, there is more hope. And that's when we'll move on to the eternal perspective in verses 12 through 28. And we're going to look at this in three different parts. First are his plans, his praise, and his position. Now, let's read of the eternal perspective of his plans in verses 12 through 17. But you, O Lord, abide forever and your name to all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to be gracious to you, to her. For the appointed time has come. Surely your servants find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord has built up Zion. He has appeared in his glory. He has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. So we saw the writer's discouragement in verses 1 through 11. And in verse 12, he starts with, but you, O Lord. And that's really, out of everything else I'm going to talk about, that's the whole key to overcoming discouragement. He shifts his focus from his very real personal pain and suffering he was in to really the source of all consolation, the Lord. Now, my trans, this translation says that the Lord abides forever, but actually a better translation of it is the Lord sits on his throne and reigns. So he acknowledges God's reign forever. Now the reign of God's kingdom will have no end, and it will be declared to all generations. So how quickly his focus changed from his very real suffering to seeing a reigning king with his plans. Um, The time had come, it says, for God's compassion to be on Zion. And this is why I think the psalm was written in the Babylonian captivity, because of the destruction that had happened to Jerusalem or Zion. And I think this was the cause of the author's discouragement. He was so discouraged over the destruction of Israel. He was heartbroken over the destruction And it says, the people delighted in her stones and felt pity for her dust. Now, we see how others respond to God's name and his glory here as well. What does it say they did? They feared. So why did they fear? Well, we see here that Jerusalem is rebuilt, and they are not able to deny that this was done by God. They see Jerusalem being rebuilt, and they know God had caused that. Now, when they acknowledge that God rebuilt Jerusalem, they'll also have to acknowledge that he he will appear again in his glory. Now, as an unbeliever, that should be terrifying. To know that there is a God, to know that he is returning, and to know that he will require an account for your life. He will want to know what, what you have done with his atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We see the confidence the the writer has in the Lord carrying out his plans both to build up Zion and to reappear in his glory. 
The verb tense he uses here changes. It speaks as if they've already been done. The Lord, he knew the Lord would continue to carry out his plans. Charles Spurgeon said, When God's own time has come, neither Rome, not the devil, nor persecutors, not atheists, can prevent the kingdom of Christ from extending its bounds. It is God's work to do it. He must arise. He will do it. But he has his own appointed season, and meanwhile we must, with holy anxiety and believing expectation, wait upon him. We need to have that great confidence that his work will be done in his timing. Nothing can stop it. Now this passage ends with the confirmation that the Lord regards or hears the prayer of the destitute, and he does not despise their prayers. He hears us when we're destitute or just stripped down. The NIV says he will respond to the prayer of the destitute. When you're discouraged, call on him. He will respond to you even if you can't feel it or see it because he's promised to. He says he'll respond. So have faith in his eternal plans and know in his promises that he will respond to you. So the first way we have to get rid of discouragement is to have an eternal perspective on his plans and not your pain. Now, next we'll see an eternal perspective on his praise in verses 18 through 22. This will be written for the generations to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord gazed upon the earth. To hear the groaning of the prisoner, to set free those who were doomed to death, that men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion, and his praise in Jerusalem, when the peoples are gathered together, and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. He starts out knowing that this lesson or the pain he's going through will be a lesson for future generations. Not only that, but he, he sees it'll be done for those not yet born to praise the Lord. To me, that's just a great perspective on things. He's just got a wonderful perspective. We've seen his discouragement, the despair is in, and that he's recording it, and he sees his recording of this will be so that others in the future will be able to praise the Lord. He's not absorbed in his very real pain and suffering and sorrow he's going through so much that he forgets about praising the Lord. Um, And he also sees that his pain will be used as an object lesson to let others praise the Lord as well. Now, when you're discouraged, you must focus your attention and focus your praise on God. When I read this, I thought of Job, who lost all of his children, like we talked about earlier, in his possessions. And when that happened, it says he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, blessed be the Lord, the name of the Lord. That was what came from his lips. With all of the pain and suffering he went through, the first thing he did was worship. He was hurting and in pain, but his focus was to praise God. And the praise of God is really what we should do. When my children were young, uh, my two boys, they went to a school where they had to memorize the Westminster Catechism. And the first question of it is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to it is, man's chief end is to glorify God. You know, it's just very brief, but really that's what we're here for. So we're here to praise Him no matter what state we're in. 
Now next we see God purposely looks to the earth to hear the prayer of those who are imprisoned. And He will release them who have been condemned to die. Now God does this every day. He hears those imprisoned by sin and condemned to die because of it. He sets those free who are condemned to death because of their sin, and He sent a Redeemer or a Savior, Jesus Christ, to do that. Jesus paid the penalty for your and my sin. And if we accept Him as Master and Lord, we can be set free from that penalty of sin and death. Also note here that in verse 1, He cries to God to hear His prayer. And in verses 19 and 20, it said God looks down to hear the prayers. So again, as we talked earlier, God hears our prayers. Now this section also finishes up with a look in the further in the future in the millennial kingdom when all nations will come to Jerusalem to praise and worship the Lord. So we really see here the second step in overcoming discouragement is to have an eternal perspective on the praise of God. Praise Him now because you'll be doing it for all of eternity. Now, the last thing we'll look at is an eternal perspective in God's position in verses 23 through 28. He has weakened my strength in the way. He has shortened my days. I say, O oh my God, do not take me away from the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. Here the author is comparing his weak and feeble state to the eternal, unchangeable, and immutable God. He starts out with a view back to his present state. He says God has weakened him and cut short his life, and he's begging God not to let him die. Now, as Christians, we should not fear death, but that doesn't mean that we can't love life as well. We may have suffering that weakens us, that causes us to die before our time, but you know that, that's God's prerogative. History is littered with such stories as this. Amy Carmichael was in in India doing wonderful things when she fell and was bedridden for the last 20 years of her life. So many others died in the prime of their life serving the Lord. Jim Elliott was 28. Robert Murray McShay was 29. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was 39. And that's just naming a very few recent ones. God doesn't answer the question of why these people left in the prime of their life, nor does he have to. We have to trust in his position is the eternal, loving, righteous, unchangeable God and know that he's in control. Romans 8.28 tells us that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we have to rest in this and know that when we're discouraged, we may not ever know why things are happening, but we have to know that he's in control. Now, after looking at his present state that he's in, he focuses on God's eternal position. He says that God is everlasting. He's getting ready to die, but God will always be. 
He lives throughout all generations. He existed from eternity past, and He is the Creator of all things. He founded the earth and the heavens. In Colossians, Paul says, For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. And even all these things that he's created will perish or be worn out like a garment. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. And John tells us of a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation chapter 21. So we see everything around us will be gone, but God will endure. He will not change. His eternal position is never in jeopardy and He never changes. He is immutable, which means He is not changeable. He's always the same. Now the writer closes out this psalm with such words of hope. He speaks with such confidence that no matter what his personal situation is, God's people will continue on and be established before God Himself. When we live for Him, We can have security in this no matter what our physical state is. We can have confidence that God's work will carry on no matter what because of who He is. The final step in overcoming discouragement is to focus on God's eternal position. Now to wrap all this up, we see that disappointment is real. You know, the author here had very real disappointment And we could see all of the suffering in the first 11 verses. So we must recognize that reality. But we must not spend all of our attention on the excruciating discouragement we're in. We must instead have eternal perspective that focuses on God's plans, on praising God, and God's eternal position. Now this doesn't downplay the pain you're in, but it changes the focus to God and away from us. For Christians, we have this eternal hope that the author talks about. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then you really have no hope for discouragement. You can try things, and they may give some short-term relief, but it's not lasting. As you see here in this psalm, the writer points to God's eternal kingdom. So if you're not sure you're a Christian and have eternal hope, then I would encourage you to come talk to Pastor Matt or one of the elders right after the service. You know, it says here, we all will have times of discouragement and despair. The key is, how do we respond to it? So let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you that your word is very clear. That you don't sugarcoat or downplay the pain, suffering, that people are in, that it's very real and you acknowledge it, Lord. But we thank you so much that you give us uh, the pathway or the focus, not on our pain or suffering, but on you, Lord. And you, you show us the way to really get out of disappointment and despair. Lord, we thank you so much that you're in control, that no matter what, your plans will carry on that you're a God who's worthy to be praised, Lord, and that that we see your great position as ruler of all the earth. 
Lord, I just pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would be uh, pricked in their heart, Lord, and they'd just be drawn to you. That no one would go out from here knowing that they can stand before you in your presence. We thank you so much for your words you've given us that just addresses all parts of our life, Lord. And we love you and just praise you in your name. Amen.